Welcome to the e-commerce growth stories podcast. If you worry about your growth, if the business model isn't working anymore, if you're running out of ways to optimize your e-commerce, or if you're looking to get the e-commerce fundamentals right, then that's the show for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the e-commerce growth story. So today uh, I'm here, of course, with uh, Dennis Yu. Hey, Dennis. Hello, Valentin, and hello, everybody. We have uh, an exciting topic uh, about uh, people that lie to themselves. And I think uh, we are all doing this. Marketers do that. E-commerce leaders do that. So uh, the topic for today is... uh, around lies that e-commerce marketers tell themselves and how these lies are affecting uh, their performance, their lives, and, uh, and, and so on. So, uh, so let's take all, turns telling lies. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's tell the truth about the lies, yeah. Uh, one, uh, one aspect that I want to uh, share with the audience today, Dennis, is that I've been doing this uh, self-deception for, for years now. And I think it's not about the, the marketers and the e-commerce marketers. It's about everyone. We, mm. we tend to neglect certain aspects because we have this uh, uh, approach where we think that we know and then we just want to confirm that we, we, we knew how to do it. And I've been doing this uh, for years. And uh, this is uh, really impactful. Uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you, when you have a company, these this, uh, lies that you tell to yourself, uh, to yourself are really impactful because it affects not only yourself, but also your colleagues, the culture, and the performance of the, of the company. Uh, why, why I think is this happening is that we are falling into this trap of uh, the status quo. So we are not asking ourselves the right questions. And uh, I think the habit of being curious about, am I doing the right thing? Is this, the, uh, is this real? Is this uh, approach proven? This type of, uh, of questions are helping, uh, are p- helping you to, to go further. What, what, do, what do you think, Dennis, about this? Why, why do we human beings, we, we lie to ourselves? What, what's your take on this? I think that's because we're humans. And humans <laughs> want a shortcut. And humans are so good at rationalizing even obvious sorts of things that are happening. Because there's sometimes we just want to believe something. And we don't want to look at the ugly truth of what we have. That's why the self-help profession is, I think, even bigger than most of the other industries. Yeah, that's right. So I'll, uh, I'll start with, uh, let's do one, one and one and comment on, on each of those, right? Yeah. The first lie that I think uh, the e-commerce marketers tell themselves is that uh, uh, they know what ROAS is and they know if their marketing works. And I think that's the first lie. And, uh, and that's happening uh, that's a lie because, first of all, if you don't have an attribution model, which is proven, you lie to yourself. Another, And now the attribution is really, I don't know, far away from the reality. So you need to re- be really cautious about it and to use different ways to validate that the channels that you think you are using are really effective. And another uh, reason why this lie is happening is because of the inertia. We... we 
many e-commerce marketers still think that it's 2020 and that uh, you can look at uh, Facebook ad campaigns manager and you can rely on those, even though not even then it wasn't a good idea to rely on that type of, of reporting. And uh, another reason why you don't know exactly if a certain channel is bringing you a positive ROAS is because you need to, to, to put in not only the CPA, you need to, you don't have to rely on the CPA. Even though the attribution is perfect, you need to add there the costs that, uh, that you have, like the wages, the tools, the yeah. other things than the media. So you need to rely on the customer acquisition cost, not on, only on the, on the CPA. What do you think, Dennis? Attribution is a sticky ball of wax because a lot of consultants and a lot of bad marketers hide behind it. They either say you can't do it because you know Facebook and iOS 14 and Google Chrome are hiding all the data and it's not accurate. And then there are the people that consider themselves data experts and they sell a lot of tools and a lot of analysis and a lot of data warehousing that we see in the big e-commerce providers. But really, they're just they they don't take into account the most basic things like the pass-along effect, where a friend if it has this, you know, they like the object and like it so much, they tell their friends about it. The minute it crosses to somebody else, that's not tracked by a cookie or a pixel. So good old fashioned word of mouth and unattributed where you run, you know, direct marketing like TV and radio or things that will result in direct none also pollute. So the better your product is, the more word of mouth you have, the more touches that are required to drive a sale, like a considered sale instead of an impulse purchase, the more difficult it is to do attribution. So attribution is something that I think is people over rely upon because it gives you a false sense of, of precision. That's not really there. Yeah. A false sense of control as well. Uh, how to, how to stop lying to yourself if you're guilty of that? Uh, from my perspective is you either use different attribution models. So you take into account other things than uh, tracking the, uh, looking at what the ad network is showing you yeah. uh, and also use things like uh, to validate you can use things like post-purchase surveys to, to un yeah. understand from from the intentionally uh, shared data from the customers what happens i mean where they've heard about you what <clears throat> what sticked to their head so that you can validate if uh, if the channels are uh, are there and of course you need to monitor what matters like looking at the overall uh, marketing uh, efforts and tracking uh, uh, things like uh, uh, customer acquisition cost versus the the investment and versus the uh, the total uh, customer lifetime value. A simple way that I find to bust the lie of attribution is to apply marketing lift. So marketing lift is calculating how much incremental sales your marketing is doing, and of course this marketing is broken into all the different channels, and then beyond that is if you if you kill all marketing. Let's say you know you're you're plotting your sales, and then all of a sudden you stop all marketing. Your sales should drop down something, right? But it's not going to drop to zero. So yeah. whatever you whatever your sales drops down to is because of a great product, right? You have to give credit to the product and the customer and the word of mouth and everything from that above is the actual incremental lift that comes from marketing. So if your attribution and analytics are good. You should be able to look at the sales that are driven by each of the channels, add those up, and they should not exceed the total amount of sales. A lot of marketers that lie to themselves, they take the total amount of sales from zero all the way up, and they try to take credit for the whole thing. And I think that's cheating. 
Because we know if you take away all marketing, there's still some, it still settles to some level of sales. So marketing can only take credit for that incremental component. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's right. I think it's, uh, it's a fantastic uh, angle as well, because what's already there without your marketing efforts shouldn't be, uh, quantified as a, as a marketing uplift. And I, I think that's a, that's a great approach. Let me tell you a story, okay? I'm going to, I can't get fired over this because it was, I did it a long time ago. So we were spending over a million dollars a day for Rosetta Stone, the language software. And this was my fault, but I can say it now because the CMO is a good friend of mine, so he can't get mad at me. But for some reason, we messed up and we accidentally turned off all of our Google and Facebook campaigns for a day, right? And we saw our sales went down and nobody was watching because we were busy on a launch of some other product that we had. And we saw that the sales actually dropped for a bit, but it only dropped maybe a third of the way. But a lot of it was because Rosetta Stone had placement inside Barnes and Noble and Costco. We had a lot of TV campaigns. We, just, we had a lot of other channels. And it was a wake-up call because we saw that digital wasn't as powerful as we thought. And of course, we were spending so much money that Facebook would come and visit us. Google would fly in and visit us with their very best people. And they would have all these stats and all this analysis and give us all these gifts and take us out to nice meals and sports games. But we said, hey, look, you know, we turned off the marketing for a bit and we saw that the sales went down. So what is the true incremental lift? So we spent a lot of time at Facebook and headquarters and Google headquarters as well, talking about attribution. And 20 years ago, I spent a bunch of time on attribution because I built the internal analytics at Yahoo, a search engine. So we ran over a hundred different attribution models. I had two PhDs and all they did was run attribution models. They said, first click, last click, average weighted click, zero credit for email, half credit for display, you know, different sorts of weighting averages, distributed clicks. And we found that there was no single attribution model that worked for every single property we had. At Yahoo, we had sports and finance and shopping and travel and personals and small business and all of the you know, mail and search. We had all these different things under the Yahoo umbrella and they all operated differently because the user journey was different. So there is no one size fits all for attribution anyway. I don't think anybody had more data than me at least 20 years ago. Nobody had more data than me on the planet to be able to talk about attribution, Right. I had all the data from the search engine. This is before Google became a big thing. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think another trap, if you, if you don't pay attention to that, is that you, you can give, if you give credit religiously to a certain channel by looking at whatever attribution model you're using, you, you can be wrong because there are top of the funnel activities that you are not taking into account. And one story that I want to share about it is uh, uh, one of our customers, they were looking at this type of attribution models last year. They had uh, a ROAS of uh, 8x when, they, when the year started. They, they realized that some channels are not working, like their social social mm-hmm. paid media was not working. They plugged, plugged it uh, out off and they realized that at the end of the year, their ROAS was the total ROAS for their marketing spend was only 2.5x. Mm. At the beginning of the year, they've started to do top of the funnel activities. The ROAS is not at 7.8x, but is at 4.5. So that's clear that those channels are sustaining each other and people are not uh, uh, looking uh, at, at the, not touching a brand only through, through a channel. Yeah. Another lie, probably my favorite lie of people to do SEO and PPC is blending in branded search terms. 
So when people are coming in, they're typing the name of your company and typing the name of your product. I believe this pisses off a lot of people to do SEO and PPC. But if you're the business owner or if you're in charge of marketing, you'll agree with me. You should never give credit to branded search terms because those are navigational and those aren't actually search. Because if you strip out the branded campaigns and put them in their own branded terms and put them in their own campaign, all of a sudden the ROAS or the LTV or the CAC or the performance of those non-branded terms can be bad. And I've seen it where branded can often be more than half of the conversions for a well-known brand depending on what you're selling. So it's really correlated to brand strength on how much comes through branded. We're not saying don't spend money on bidding on your name or bidding on your product names or bidding on the name of the founder or bidding on names of other people that are your spokespeople. Definitely protect those terms. But because And we did some research together with Google and Google, their numbers were slightly different than ours, but they said that when you bid on brand terms, that there, there is cannibalization because you know, you're showing up organically anyway, but so why would you pay? Well, you have about a 25% cannibalization. So whatever result you get from branded, if you did want to give credit to it, you'd have to discount that by 25% because you're cannibalizing some amount of organic traffic you would have gotten. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's true. And uh, it, was a, it was a research from, uh, from a large furniture retailer. Uh, I think it was in 2018 or so. They've analyzed all, all their spending and they realized that 97% of their uh, of their uh, sales you know mm-hmm. they they were coming from branded search and uh, however the 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 other all the other terms were were not contributing as they they think they were even though 92% of the <laughs> of the spending was on broad broad search right. terms so it made the ppc agency look bad or whoever ran ppc so they never want you to split it apart, right? They always want to try to, try to take credit because their blended numbers are better. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, the lesson here and how to stop doing this, uh, Dennis, is to, to understand the power of your own brand and to consciously invest in those terms, knowing that you're actually protecting your brand and you're amplifying your brand. And one technique that I've been using a lot of years before was to tap into uh, non-commercial uh, queries with yeah. our brand, because people weren't clicking on that anyways. You know, it, you, you don't click if, you, if you're looking right. for, uh, I don't know, Justin Bieber or whatever term, you're, you're not clicking on the ad, but you are seeing that brand over and over again. And the, the CPC was yeah. pretty, pretty low. So you can do a lot of crazy things, but this is branding, is not search. So you, as you've said, it's not a good idea to give credit to, to, to the search the, yeah. uh, agency or internal team a few years ago we were doing the ppc for quiznos which is a major sandwich chain in the united states and some other countries not as big as subway but right behind subway and we were bidding well we took it over from the other consultant that was there he got kicked out because the coo is a friend of mine and they were bidding on the term quiznos and different variations and misspellings and like you were saying that was 80 plus percent of our traffic and our sales so when we separated that out all of a sudden all of our campaigns were negative so I told the COO, hey, you know, Bill, what we need to do is turn off all the branded campaigns. In fact, let's just turn off all PPC, which, of course, pissed off Google because we were spending a lot of money. And let's see how much we have in terms of sales. And does that really affect it? So this is what we were talking about before on calculating marketing lift. And Valentin, what do you think we found when we turned off the PPC? <laughs> it's, it's clear. <laughs> yeah. So the sales fell down only a little bit. Yeah. 
So yeah. the consult, the other agency, the consultant was trying to take credit for all the sales that Quiznos was generating. But yeah. when we turned out the PPC, it was all, like it's very little because they were bidding on terms that we were already getting anyway. Yeah. So it, I think it's very important in, in a complex marketing mix. If you're playing with two or three channels, you actually have to turn things on and off. So you could take, you could randomize your keywords into, you know, bucket A and bucket B and then day part, like odd, even hours just to see like what the impact is when you turn mm-hmm. something on and off. Cause you don't know the lift, the right, the incremental that a particular channel provides. So email could be incremental or, you know, PPC or social media ads could be incremental. You don't know the incremental unless you turn it off because otherwise yeah. you can't calculate what it would have been with nothing. There's yeah. no other way except to turn it off. We have been doing back in the, I don't know, it was 2011. I was running my e-commerce uh, online car insurance uh, company and we were investing uh uh, a lot of money for us at that moment. We we were putting something like uh, 20k a day in uh, Google AdWords, and we were looking at that. We were struggling to 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 break even on total. And, and at some point, my partner said, "You know what? Let's turn it off. How? <laughs> Let's make some money because we were short on cash flow. You know, and we we couldn't yeah. spend it anymore because at that moment, you you." you were supposed to pay in advance to Google AdWords to put mm-hmm. credit and we couldn't afford it anymore. And yeah. we've said, okay, let's put it off and see what happens. Uh, and the, the surprise was that we were thinking that a third of our uh, revenue was coming from Google uh, AdWords, but in three weeks, we, we've been affected by only by 15%. Then we've said, okay, let's shut it off because it's, it's not, it's not okay. Three months after we realized that this was affecting, you know, I mean, the, the effect was, uh, uh, was basically the performance on the other channels was decaying as well. So you can't, mm-hmm. you, you can't neglect certain, certain channels da- down the line. It's, uh, and I don't think you need to be uh, channel centric. You need to put your eggs in many, uh, many baskets. Yeah, absolutely. You want to move on to another lie? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, the other lie is that uh, uh, um, e-commerce marketers think they know why the customers bought from them. And uh, I, I, it was that same from uh, Peter Drucker, you know, that mm. uh, uh, companies don't know why their customers are buying uh, and what they are actually selling, which is fantastic, you know, to, to realize that many companies don't know what they are actually selling because people are, uh, we think we are, marketers think they are mm-hmm. selling products and certain features, while at the end of the day, they, they, they sell the perspective of a better future that uh, uh, a customer has at a certain point, right? We are mm-hmm. selling desired outcomes. Yeah even though we are looking for a uh, uh, certain as we aspire to get to a certain place or to get mm-hmm. certain uh, uh, mm-hmm. emotions, either we are struggling with some negative emotions. Yeah. And uh, I think this is uh, happening because the, the whole, whole part of the customer research is neglected. You know, we are jumping directly to, okay, let's, let's do some ads and yeah. let's create and some, cool. some things. Uh, let's, let's do some creative uh, campaigns without knowing why the customers are mm-hmm. are buying? What's yeah. your take on this? Uh... So you know the Jack Daniels brand. It's a whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah. Tennessee whiskey. So we did some research for them, and they know that we're very good at data. And they had what they thought was strong research because they brought in these focus groups and they asked them 
Why do you like Jack Daniels? What else would you drink? What is your lifestyle? What other brands do you have? You know, what, what do you think of the different flavors that we have? And so this is what they built into personas, right? So they had this one persona they called Bubba. And Bubba likes to drink Jack Daniels on Saturday afternoon with his friends. And he lives in the country and he likes yeah. to watch car racing on TV. And they built this whole persona, right? And then this is Sarah and Sarah is, Bubbles, is Bubba's yeah. wife. And this is what she believes. And she's a conservative and she drives a pickup truck and they paint this whole story. And it's all great. <laughs> Everyone loves telling the story, right? We did the same thing for WWE. Right. The, the wrestling. Right. We said this, this, yeah. we had a name, I think his name like Jimmy or and, you know, Jimmy t- tunes in the WrestleMania and he really likes John Cena. And, you know, he used to like the rock, but now since, you know, what <laughs> tell all these stories and they, they have these detailed stories and they build these personas, right. But personas are a lie because it assumes that you have a, a mono customer. That's just one kind of customer, but really you have a whole range. So we grabbed all their data for Jack Daniels. Brown Foreman's a parent company and Jack Daniels is one of their brands. So we grabbed all their data and we said, okay, well, this one you call Bubba, that's this segment over here. It's a you know, medium-sized bubble, but you have all these other bubbles of these other people. So you yep. have people who are you know, church pastors that will drink Jack Daniels. You have yep. people that are completely opposite on the political spectrum that like Jack Daniels because they go to a party or because they, you have all these different situations that people will drink alcohol except for the one story that everyone's like, oh, yes. I really like this one story. So usually it's the CMO who says, yeah, I really like the persona modeling because they love the idea. Anecdotally means it's one story that they heard from somebody. But if you're willing to look at the data and you actually do the bucketing, you find it's not as simple as this one thing. I told you last time, one of our friends runs the United States Concealed Carry Association. We helped them go from 6 million to 60 million by better targeting and better ads and they said, you know, the people who are, who are buying gun insurance, it's a male, he's 40 years old, he wants to protect a family, tell the whole story about this guy, right? But, so we, when we were running ads, we were targeting only men because, we, of course, you know, it's the men who have the guns, they're protecting yeah. the family. They, all, so we told this whole story that we, we zeroed in on exactly who we thought the demographic was. Then I said, you know what, just for fun, let's run some campaigns with no targeting. <laughs> we only optimize to a conversion. What do you think happened? Better, better performance, right? Because we were hurting ourselves by over-targeting because we don't know. We know, we know exactly who the customer is. We know yep. why they buy. We know how they're thinking and feeling. And you're almost dead wrong every single time. Yeah. One, one uh, fantastic uh, change that transformed the, uh, my, my company was the realization that we, we, we do have some ideal customer profiles, but we, we need to understand not who they are, but why they are buying and exactly. why, what, what's the triggering, you know, what's the struggling moment that, uh, that makes them uh, start buying. And I've been then meeting with Bob Mesta from the mm. CVO Academy, actually, a, yeah. basically it's uh, my, my all time favorite because he, he was actually transforming my, my, my company with his input. And I've understood the power of the jobs to be done methodology. I've applied it over and over again. And I realized that because I'm 41, 
it doesn't make me buy a certain thing. Not all the people which are 41 are buying the same things. And it's crazy how many marketeers are falling into this trap of building fictional buyer persona in their meeting rooms with those uh, sticky notes and uh, mm-hmm. naming mm-hmm. them X, Y, or Z. What I, what I think it, it should be done if you, uh, if you're lying to yourself about this, uh, this thing is to do this, uh, customer research and under, <clears throat> ask real persons, you know, Ask yeah. real persons, not and not on the on the shallow. You know, not not. You need to interrogate that person. You need to, you need to get to the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. We were doing jobs to be done methodology for a company called the Hush Blankets. They were mm. they were selling these weighted blankets, and they thought that they are selling the cuddling feeling. You know, the, all their ads were around yeah. uh, feeling feeling better in your homey environment. After doing the jobs to be done research we realized that people were having medical conditions and they weren't buying the weighted blankets because of the cuddling feeling, but because they couldn't, they could sleep without getting knocked out by the pills. And yeah. the, the, the side effects of the sleeping pills were, were the thing that were triggering them towards uh, trying the weighted, uh, the weighted blankets. So all this uh, marketing can be transformed based on this, uh, the truth about why the customers are buying uh, your products. Mm-hmm. So targeting personas, a lot of people use that thinking that it's going to help them drive better keyword targets or better targeting inside social systems or display ads. But it's not the targeting. It's that it affects our creative. It affects the landing pages and what's in the ad and what we say and that kind of messaging. My friend Todd Herman has created something called the five questions. And these are five questions that he recommends that we implement immediately upon purchase as part of our operations. So when somebody buys, <clears throat> provided it's an item that's over a couple hundred dollars, so it's worth actually you know, calling these people, or you can sample and call one out of every 20 or whatever it might be, and you ask them these five questions. What was it that made you buy? You know, would you recommend us to another friend? What would you say about our product? It's just a few of these kinds of questions. And then listening very carefully, recording it through auto.ai or whatever your favorite transcription is, and then using the exact words that those customers said about why they buy in your ad copy. So your customers are actually writing your ad copy. So you're not doing it for customer service. You're doing it because your customers are an extension of your marketing. And that's way better than whatever the CEO heard from their friend. So the worst market research is you ask your friends what they think about the product. And of course, they tell you all the things that you want to hear. That is not your customer. Yeah. You lie to yourself. They lie to you. And eventually you, 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 you don't... Yeah nail the truth towards your, uh, your, your customers. Then he's Valentin, your food is so good. You should start, you know, you and your wife, you should start a bakery. And of course, and everyone lies. Like, yeah, you should start a bakery. You're so good. We're just all lying to you. Oh, your baby is beautiful. Oh, you're such a, you know, I'm so glad you came over to spend time with me. You should come over often. Valentin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have such a great hair, Dennis. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's keep so, lying to each other. Yes. <laughs> what's the What's the next lie? It's your turn. You don't need to have all these humans involved. There's technology that will automate everything for you, right? <laughs> all this new tool. You don't. You know the old website you have. There's a new technology for this website. This other email tool that you have. Here's a better tool. It's way better. It'll not only do your email way better. It'll do your laundry. It will also you know make you extra money while you're sleeping, right? Because yeah. it's all driven by AI. And Elon Musk said that AI is the most powerful 
thing that's the biggest fear of the planet, more than like nuclear bombs. You know, he said that AI is the most powerful, dangerous thing. And, you know, we're an AI company and we also are built on the blockchain and other sorts of buzzwords that I'm going to try to bring in to try to puff up the stuff that I have. <clears throat> I'm old fashioned. I believe that someone who really understands the product and understands the customer and can actually write some creative or actually film some video is going to beat the AI. So yep. two weeks ago, I was in Orlando with a friend who sells that their e-commerce is the Magnolia farm. So they sell Magnolia trees, Magnolia reeds, all these different things that they have on the farm. And on, on my phone, I collected them in the field while the husband wife team said, this is our Magnolia farm. It's 180 acres. I had it from my father and here's one part of it. We have a lake and it's shaped like a heart and our family spends time here. And this is how we plant our trees and meet Maria. Maria runs our operations. She's been working here 27 years and she, you know, and just interviewing them along. Oh, now we're planting new trees here. Now these ones were damaged by the frost and here's what we're doing. Here's our greenhouse. Here's our seeds. Here's where we pack everything. Here's where we handle customer service. And just me with no technology, except an iPhone making videos will outperform all the social media monitoring to, to tools, all of the cool ways that you can set up ads, all the cool analytics, all the cool yeah. whatever, just me on a phone collecting stories and then writing copy about why this is such a special moment when you plant a tree when a loved one dies. You know, you want to honor a loved one and then take it from the, the family at the Magnolia Company to your family and how much they care about their people and how this means so much when you plant a tree in your grandmother's name when she dies, right? Yeah. Way more powerful. That, that creative part, the automation will never get there. All the tools, all the salespeople will try to tell you their technology is so good. I love technology. I'm a software engineer. But the lie is that people think you can do everything. That's right. I think the 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 right dose dosage is the uh, is the answer here. There are things that you can put on autopilot, and there are things that you 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 shouldn't and you 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 can't. As long as the human beings are driven by their emotions, yeah. and ninety five percent of our decisions are coming from the uh, unconscious mind, that means we we can't rely on something so rational and and, and yeah. those type of uh, uh, AI tools to 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 make it happen for us and uh, an, an aspect that it's <laughs> i think it's uh, a neighbor of this uh, light they sit uh, right next to each other is the the light that the tools are the answers uh, and the tools are as good as the 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 user is right so yeah. <laughs> you, you need someone to to activate the the power of the tool of course there are some fantastic tools you can build yeah. this type of automations you can do yeah. this if then that scenarios you can you can do a lot of things with, with the uh, with the right tools but the talent behind the tool is what mm. what you're after so mm -hmm. as a, as a company you still need uh, talented people to run the, to run the show and uh, you 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 can uh, you can't make it happen at the, with the same level of thinking that you had as a yeah. founder so you you need to always put in your agenda the first thing is build a fantastic team to run the show people all the time imagine if you were a carpenter and you're building a bookshelf and then you messed up the bookshelf are you going to blame the hammer you're going to say, oh, but if you gave me the $50 gold hammer, it'd be way better than the $10 normal hammer, right? That was clearly the reason that the bookshelf is all crooked. It's not, it's not me. It's not my fault. It's the tool. I would ask you, Valentin, in the last week, how, or just an average, how many new tools are you exposed to? That all promise and all promise everything, right? Promise yeah. it can do everything. 
Yeah, a lot of them. And and there there are there is this uh, plethora of tools which are which are coming into the market and uh, uh, pretty much that's why we decided to, uh, as a tool vendor to to focus on education and on on mm-hmm. how to use the tool because yeah. the, the the shortage is in the education part is not in the tools you know you you can search for the right tools at this moment and there are some small differences between them if we are being honest but mm-hmm. the the difference is being made by the user of the tool yeah Amen. All day. And this is from someone who builds tools. It's kind of funny that you and I are building tools to manage these other tools, but we're still saying it's the people that are important. Yeah, that's right. All right. So let's, uh, let's move uh, onwards to the next, uh, to the next slide, which is uh, that the, the e-commerce marketers uh, say that they know their customer journey. They've, they understood the customer journey and the buying process. And uh that's, I think, ninety-nine percent of the marketers uh, are are falling into this uh, this trap, because they if if you are not consciously analyzing, you know, it's not like you dictate, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you craft yeah. the journey and they need to go through these paths, you know, mm-hmm. it, that that's you that's what you're. Uh, that's what you think the customer journey is. Mm-hmm. In order to understand the customer journey, you need to ask your customers and to understand their buying process. And they have all sorts of touch points that you're not aware of. However, there are certain parts of the whole buyer's journey that are there, but how they get from a step to another, what are the, what is the emotion uh, at each of those steps, you know, mm. this is something which yeah. is really important. And I've been doing this uh, emotional mapping. Mm. I think I told this story, but I'm going to repeat it because it's, it, it makes so much sense. We were having something like 12 people in our customer uh, service. We were uh, uh, calling our customers to renew their insurance, but they, mm. nobody's happy when, when they hear that. So no. our, our emotional state, you know, the, the, our, the, the girls there in that department, they were saying, hello, Mr. Anderson, your insurance. <laughs> and and <laughs> mainly we, were, we weren't empathizing with, the, with, with our customers. So we understood that we need to, to change the game. And we were always starting with the low voice, Hello, Mr. Anderson. We do know that this is not the greatest news, but we have great news. We have uh, found the, uh, a better price than you had last year with this company and so on. So mainly that, that's what, uh, what matters to empathize and not to, to realize that you have a journey as a company and customers have their journeys. And mm. Unless you understand the desired outcome, what your customers are after, mm-hmm. you are just throwing spaghetti on the wall. Mm, mm. Amen. So we were doing some social media ads for the world's largest furniture company, which is Ashley Home Store. And through their corporate office, they gave us all of these materials and ads. And they said, this is what we want to use because it's all branded and it's shot professionally and perfectly. Clearly, they spent a lot of money on this whole folder of creatives. They said, we can use these in our ads on Google and Facebook. And we tried using them and they didn't do very well because they clearly looked like ads and they were promoting all the new things that this company was coming out with. And they were changing their name from Ashley Furniture to Ashley Home Store. 
but still mm-hmm. everybody that I, I know, including me, we still call it Ashley Furniture because that's what we've known for many, many years, yeah. right? It, it's the world's largest furniture company, largest manufacturer of furniture, largest retail of furniture, way bigger than Ikea because they have more stores. Ikea yeah. only has like whatever, 30 stores. These guys have 700 stores. So we started, we, we kind of decided to go rogue and ask for forgiveness instead of permission. So we said, you know what? I know corporate told us to say this, but just for some of the stores, we're going to run other ads and we're going to take cell phones and we're going to record our own little videos. And we had some videos that were made of people who were, we ran some videos that were from a guy in Arkansas and we showed him in a store in Seattle. And we even showed furniture that was out of stock that they didn't even carry anymore. So our number one, we, we had hundreds of ads. Our number one highest ROI generating ad was of a $197 or the $297 sofa, one of the cheapest sofas you can buy. But it came in multiple colors. So you could, if you're a poor student, you could use it in your dormitory and at least have a sofa. It's either have a yeah. sofa or you can't even have a sofa. It's a cheap sofa, <laughs> but you know, it's nice. It wasn't even in stock, but that's what drove people into the store. And so because we looked at the data, because we were willing to look at the data instead of you know deciding what we thought the, the customer journey was, because the, the typical answer is, well, it's a mid-price furniture store. So you have mm-hmm. you know, Sally, who's the mother, and you know, they move <laughs> you know, they they have a new kid, so they need to buy some furniture or they move, move from their apartment to a house and now it's time to buy furniture. So they tell these stories, which are true because people do move and this kind of thing. But when we zeroed in on what actually was resonating and then we used the dollar a day strategy to be able to test each of these creatives. So we literally just spent $7 for each creative, but we had hundreds of creatives. We quickly found, like if I gave you a map, Valentine, of, of 200 creatives, like a big grid of 200 different creatives, do you think you would eat, like what probability could you pick out which of them would perform the best? You wouldn't know, right? Yeah. I wouldn't know. So we made all these you, ads. You, you need to test. And the ads that I thought, you know what? I think this one, this one's really clever. This one's going to do the best. This one features a pretty woman. It's going to do better. Or this one, ah, this one's not going to do very well because it looks very plain. And, you know, I don't like the background and I don't like what they're saying. And I don't like what the products in there, but I was completely wrong. The ones I thought were going to be the, I was, you know, the ones I thought were the worst were the best and vice versa. And that's how we found that the number one item was this old sofa that was not even in stock anymore. My friend runs data mining at Capital One. Capital One, I think, is the largest mailer on the planet. They send more direct mail because credit cards, right? They, they're yeah. one of the largest credit card companies. And they do the exact same thing. They have in this one room, they have hundreds of design of designs, I think they have like 50 designers, full-time designers. And all they're doing is designing new backgrounds for the credit cards, right? (laughs) And so my friend who ran data mining, he gave me a sheet and he said, hey, look, look at all of these designs. Which of them, what do you think? Which of them do you think is winning? Which of them do you think is doing the best? I'm like, I think this is, I bet you these ones did really well. And which (laughs) ones did the worst? Uh, Probably these ones over here. And then he said, you know, which one won? So he had all these different designs of like backgrounds and animals and the favorite sports team and like all your family and, you know, sunset. You you can imagine like all the different credit card backgrounds. The one that did the best was just, it looked just like this. It was just a plain bluish kind of greenish (laughs) square. It was just this. You would never guess. Yeah. So they, people tell these journeys about, oh, this guy's a sports fan. So he wants to have one that has like lots of sports and he's really tough and, you know, lifts weights. And so it's, it's yeah. all of this customer journey stuff. I mean, I agree with the concept of customer journey, but most people never get beyond the storytelling to get to the actual data, the validation by putting it out there and spending a few dollars to validate it. 
Yeah. And uh, uh, another thing which I think it's uh, uh, it should be addressed is that in terms of the customer journey, what happens after the customer has placed the, the, the order yeah. is crucially important so that you can bond with the creator relationship with the, with the customer while all the marketing things that that's not our job, but whose job it is, you know, to, 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 to take care about how the customers are feeling afterwards. And, uh, th- this is a, uh, a blurry zone where while this is the most important thing because the, you, you have this, uh, you can have this, uh, buyer's remorse. You can have this uh, anxiety towards, uh, have I done the right thing buying this? Is this going to arrive? Whatever. Mm-hmm. But nobody's taking care about how they treat that. On the thank you yeah. page, the yeah. company is pushing other things to upsell while mm-hmm. the customer is reluctant if they've made the right choice. And they have uh, this, this uh, stupid, uh, even uh, I've seen this on, on the thank you page of even uh, on Nike, that they had this uh, standard, your order 1X0870 has been placed. Thank you for your order. But there is a place that you can uh, leverage because that's a place where you can diminish the anxiety and increase the uh, the the willingness of the customer to uh, to buy again from from you. You can plant the seeds for a future purchase by how mm-hmm. you position yourself and how how well you play your game over there. Retention LTV all day long of requisition. Yeah. All right. Next, uh, what's the next uh, the next slide that you want to address? I think it's the biggest lie of them all. And that is the lie. That is the words that come out of what your colleagues and other people in the industry say about their stats. You know, everybody seems to lie because they, they don't want to say that they're struggling. So you feel like you're struggling and everyone, well, I talked to so-and-so and they said they did $2 million last month at a six row S right? And then that gets spread around like gossip. And then at the conferences, whatever, all of a sudden is they did $4 million, you know, at a, at a 12 row as, and so people circulate <laughs> all these things. And then the people that give the presentations and the consultants and the tool vendors, all of them lie about how good their performance is. Right. So then you think I must be an idiot because everyone else, they're all succeeding. I never hear about anybody failing. It seems like every campaign they run is always successful. Why are my campaigns failing? So the biggest lie is from people who make money by selling consulting or by taking a fee from you when they are not financially accountable to the end result. So this also includes employees that work for you or vendors or contractors where they're charging a retainer or whatnot. The only one who's, I believe, truly going to be honest is whoever their money is accountable for the sale. If they're have, if it's their money, that they're spending on the ads and spending on the people and spending on the operations. That's the person who has an incentive to care. The other people have an incentive to lie to you because they want to keep their job because they want to sell you more Google ads. They want to sell you more tools. They want to sell you more of their services. Yeah. And uh, uh, an interesting aspect on on this topic, uh, Dennis, is that we are also being trapped on how we interpret the data. You know, we, uh, we, we are, we are looking at the data and we manipulate it 
so that it makes sense. I mean, we are discounting certain factors, like you've said, with the brand protect campaigns, but this yeah. is happening on, on other aspects as well. Like yeah. when you are doing uh, A-B testing and you, yeah. you, you, you let it run or you stop it thinking that, yeah, this is a winner, but you, don't, you, you have reached the statistical significance, but only for two days yeah. and the buying cycle is 14 yeah. days. And yeah. all, these, all these ways to, to actually, uh, you, you, you want to make it so much yeah. that you end up lying to yourself and not Pro making real progress. And I, I think this is really yeah. dangerous for people which are trying to get uh, further in their, uh, in their careers. You've heard lies, damn lies, and statistics. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm an expert at using charts to lie. You know, I change the <laughs> axis to make it look steeper, right? Change the pie chart. I, there's different ways to manipulate. But you're right, yeah. whether it's the emotional side where you're just blind and you want to believe something, or you lie to yourself with this false sense of precision with data. Yeah, and uh, the it was that thing that if you squeeze data, it can confess anything. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Dennis, I think that's a, that's a wrap. That was the 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 last lie that uh, we think uh, <laughs> marketers are telling to themselves. We reached the end of this session. Do we want to go further? In uh, I want to hear about next, the lies next for, time for you guys. You know what lies are you hearing about? that we can add to this because we're taking this and building articles against it and social media snippets. And we'd love to feature the stories that you have, especially the horror stories, which are the things that you typically don't hear. You only hear like all the success, right? But I, here, let's talk about things that have gone wrong. And I've shared some of these things that have gone wrong in other situations. And I'll tell you that I, I think probably 90 plus percent of the projects that I do fail. So we have to do lots of experiments. And I'm curious to see, like, you know, what do you see? You know, Valentin, what do you see? And other people in the audience, yep. like realistically, how often do you fail? Can you admit that? I fail 90% of the time, at least. I think the same. I, I, uh, the, the beauty of, of my life as an entrepreneur is that uh, I got myself into a position where I can afford to fail uh, without, uh, without critical damage, let's say. And the whole idea of... It's your money. Yeah, you yeah. can do it instead of someone else's money. Exactly. All right. So uh, thanks, everyone, for being with us today. Thanks, Dennis, for, uh, for, for the today's session. And we'll see each other in the next episode. See you guys in the next episode. All righty. So, okay. Good job. I think that was very good. I like that. I like the topic and the back and forth. I think we should go back and forth with tips like that. Yeah. And, uh, man, I want to I wanna publish this. I mean, let's do another five or even yeah. ten lies. Yeah. We'll get an editor because we're hiring a new content okay. writer. Yeah, ne next week or whatever, whenever our next one is, let's let's do another five lies. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. I have Excellent. I have more right here. I'm ready to go, but you know. <laughs> Perfect. I don't have enough energy to go for another hour, but yeah, this is good. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, we'll see each other in uh two weeks. Any uh I'll let you know about the progress with the yeah. uh with the grader, we, we have yeah. made some progress. We have made some oh, UI. I will run it by you when uh, we have it ready next Wednesday. Yeah, I'll, I'll send over then, some mock-ups to you. Okay. And then we, we can maybe just uh, hop on a 15-minute Zoom or whatever, go through it, something like that. Yeah. What is crucially important is to, to brainstorm together about the recommendations because mm. that's going to be the... That's the elephant in the room, you know? Yeah. Very, very well, no one has it. So even if it's not very good... It's yeah. better than what anyone else has. 
yeah, yeah. in many ways we will uh, we will afford to to fail at the beginning okay. right great fantastic Man, have a nice trip tomorrow it was great uh, doing this and uh, all the best from bucharest thank you valentin you're awesome see you Talk man. To- all right bye